Welcome to the RV Navigator Podcast, your RV lifestyle digital home. Visit the RV Navigator homepage at rvnavigator.com. And now, here are your hosts, Ken and Martha, podcasting from their mobile RV studio that might be parked in a campground near you. Hello, this is Ken, your RV Navigator. And Martha, the co-pilot. And boy, it seems like we just finished talking to you, and oh, here we no, are we're very again. excited to talk to you again because we have many more topics to well, talk about. It might feel like it because we haven't changed venues. We're ah, still yes. at the sun and fun, or is it fun and sun? Well, we want to talk about both, really, because we have an interesting uh, comparison to make. We have the fun and sun in Texas, a 1500 park RV park in the Rio Valley of Texas, and we have Sun and Fun, which is a 1500 RV site park here in Florida near Sarasota. And we just arrived here uh, two weeks ago in Florida. And as, as those of you who have been traveling with us for a while know that we're not very good at sitting still and we are going to be here for a whole month. And so that makes us feel after two weeks here like we are experts. <laughs> but, you know, we have to do research for our friends on the road and we enjoy sharing these uh, insights with you because uh, we're surprised that uh, we come to these RV parks and people say, this is the best park I've ever visited and you're going to love it here and it's got this and this and this and this and we say well where else have you been well i have only been here this is the best park and we don't necessarily feel that that's the best way to make comparisons so on your behalf dear listener what else should i talk about first this is the rv navigator at rvnavigator.com and if you want to send us an email it's navigator at rvnavigator.com gotta get those out of the way first anyway um, we are doing this research on your behalf because we have stayed at both Fun and Sun and Sun and Fun. Now, they sound the same, and for all practical purposes, they are the same, except that one is in Florida and the other is in Texas. And one, namely the Florida one, costs about three times as much as the one in Texas. Well, that's the comparisons we want to make. If you're from the East Coast, it's probably you're probably a Florida person. And if you're from the Midwest, you're probably a Texas person. Well, and, okay. Yeah, yeah. And where we're from, no, we're not making because absolutes. we're right on the edge of the central time zone, um, <laughs> we're, we're, we could flow south either way. And as we've said before, there really only are a few places you can go in the deepest winter, which it still is, judging by the forecasts that we're seeing on TV of up north. And so we're, we're talking about Florida, um, the Rio Grande Valley in Texas, southern Arizona, southern California, and Mexico. And so any snowbird who wants to spend any time away from home usually gravitates to one of those four spots. And certainly anybody east of the Mississippi is probably going to go to Florida or maybe Texas. Yes, and we found out even that the east coast of Florida is New York and New England and that the west coast of Florida is basically Midwest. Kind of. Kind of. And certainly we are seeing many more than ever Canadians. Now that their dollar is so strong um, and they are also sick of their winters, uh, they are coming down here by the hordes. We're even seeing license plates from small provinces like Nova Scotia and yeah, Prince Edward and Island, Prince Edward which is kind of cool. Yes. 
We're always happy to see our Canadian friends down here spending their dollars. As a matter of fact, I'm looking at a Canadian flag as we speak. So let's talk about these two parks. Now, we are not necessarily, well, we are talking about sun and fun in Florida, but we have stayed at several parks. If you have been with us for a while, you know that we've stayed at several parks in the Rio Valley of Texas. Uh, Just for your comparison, uh, a lot of people seem to be surprised that Texas is as far south as it is. But Texas, the, the Rio Valley of Texas, which is about as far south as you can get in Texas, is about as far south as Fort Myers. And we are right now at uh, the RV park in Florida, just north of Fort Myers. So physically, they're located about the same latitude. And from what we've seen both this year and in studying uh, the differences between the two states in other winters, the weather is pretty much the same. Uh, Generally, it goes to Texas first, and then two days later, whatever was happening there happens here. So they really are pretty similar in terms of temperature. But as you've already guessed, in the Rio Valley, you have a huge number of choices of large campgrounds. And around here, this park, Fun and Sun in Sarasota, is quite special for around here. Right. There are lots of RV parks, but it's our sense that most of the RV parks don't offer the kind of uh, extracurricular activities that we came to expect in Texas. So Fun and Sun is kind of a standalone here, but it would be one of many in Texas. And Fun and Sun here charges dramatically more higher prices than the other campgrounds around the area, as well as those in Texas. But that would also be true for equivalent campgrounds that don't have all the activities within the two states. Florida is a more expensive place to camp. Right. Um, We are paying currently about $1,550 a month for a campsite, which is a lot to us. Whereas in Texas, we paid $650. And that's obviously a very dramatic difference, $1,000 a month difference in price. And certainly when we consider the depth of activities offered and the kinds of things we can do within the campground, uh, people here in Florida are amazed that we have so many of them the same in Texas. And they were quite incredulous when we told them that we got an equally thick book (laughs) describing all the activities. Yeah, And certainly um, there are some minor differences. Um, In Texas we had some great bike riding opportunities and here we have beach volleyball which we didn't have there but those are minor differences between the two parks I was. You have so many parks in in Texas that you have a wide range of prices. Um, You can stay for a month in a park that would be $250 all the way up to the high, which is what we paid about six fifty. And certainly, a cheaper park in Texas, you would probably have less activities, far fewer, than we had in the more expensive one, which would, which we would compare to the one here, which is even much, much more expensive. But here at Fun and Sun, it is the only choice. There are cheaper RV parks, uh, and we have somebody we know staying at one that's nine eighty a month, and it sounds like their park has no activities to speak of. It's just an RV park. And the podcast that we made at the end of last month, uh, we were had just come from John Prince Park, which was a municipal park in uh, Fort Lauderdale area, and it had no activities whatsoever. 
and but it was very reasonably priced. So people here speak a lot about not leaving the bubble, and by that they mean that there <laughs> the is bubble. so much going on here uh, that you never feel the need to leave. And one thing this place does have, which I don't recall an exact equivalent of in, in Texas, is an on-site restaurant, which serves most meals every day, every no breakfast. Oh, yeah, um, so it would even be easy to go out to eat here and, and not leave the bubble. But in Texas, because there were so many parks right. offering so many activities, um, we found ourselves leaving the particular bubble we were in a lot more and, and going they, to other yeah. campgrounds to take advantage of their activities, especially um, entertainment. And people never referred to staying in, in the, the bubble, bubble because like here. there are too many bubbles to stay in and uh, people roamed around. And it wasn't like you moved your RV, but you certainly were um, going off and going to other parks for other activities. Oh, yes, going to other parks for activities. And that's something you just don't do here in, in, in Florida. Because the other parks don't have activities. Yes. So uh, the activities that they have, and they do have entertainment twice a week in the evening. At most. At most. Uh, some minor entertainment, a one-man band or something around the bar, but regular entertainment in a hall with a stage and stuff is maybe once or twice a week. Whereas in Texas, they put out the Winter Texan booklet, which was a municipal publication, and you could go to several concerts every day. And that's a huge If you were willing to travel between the parks. And they were very economical. Yes. Many of those performers came from Branson. Um, Not having been here as long, I had the impression that the last activity we went to, which was our first, uh, some of the performers came off of cruise ships, which would make sense from Florida. From Florida. So we uh, we do have entertainment here, but it isn't the wide variety of entertainment that we had in Texas, and certainly not the abundance of entertainment. And certainly a factor that you need to think about whenever you come to these parks, be it in Florida or in Texas, is that to do a good job of them, you can't be as flighty as we are. Um, Only being here a month, we do not really have time to get into, for example, the arts and crafts activities, uh, something like quilting. You don't just pop in and pop out again. Um, And it takes, in our case, uh, we learned some new games here that we had not played before, and it takes a while to learn how to do that, to meet the people, to find out how things work. So if you're going to do a good job of these kinds of parks, you need to be more stable than we are and settle down for longer than a month, I would say. Yeah, well, this isn't a definitive review, but I think it will give uh, our listeners an idea of the kind of park that they might want to head to. And certainly in both locations, the longer you stay, the less you pay per day. So it's economically wise to stay in one spot longer. Yeah, but we're paying the monthly rate, and the three-month rate was not that much lower. So, And, and the, the disparity between Texas and Florida was about the same, regardless of how long you stayed. In terms of activities, uh, um, craft activities, I would say that they were both pretty much the same. Similar. Very similar. Except I was surprised there were no photography workshops here, no computer workshops here in, in Florida. Uh, but they did have things like lapidary, they have things carpentry, like carpentry woodworking, needlecraft, needle stained glass. Stained glass. Uh, so a wide variety of that type of activity, but just maybe not the specific things that. Uh, and I would were. guess to some degree that's a function of who's staying in the park because many of these activities are at least spearheaded by um, campers who are here for the longer term. Uh, so depending on what the people who are at that park are interested in, that's going to shape what happens there. And I would say the park here has 
uh, about half RV sites and half uh, mobile home sites, which is typical for Texas also, so that you have these more or less permanent installed mobile homes that used to be trailers. And those are here, of course, 12 months out of the year and are occupied probably six months out of the year. Um, and those po- folks pay you know, a, a yearly premium, but those people are permanent residents of this park. Um, and don't obviously go anyplace else. So their perspective is very different than than us as transients. Transients. Uh, but the, here, the the Florida Park has many more transients than I would say Texas did. And we should also say it, it, it when we got here at the beginning, we felt like people were younger here in Florida than they are in Texas. <laughs> but they should be because this park is not classified as a geezer community over fifty five kind of a park. And so we find younger folks coming here for their vacation and spending two or three weeks uh, playing the games right alongside us and then going home to work again. And the parks in Texas, um, occasionally you would find somebody's son or daughter visiting, but But they were less youthful feeling than it is here, and that's why. So another activity that we have always enjoyed are the potluck dinners. The potluck dinner here was anemic compared to those in Texas. Maybe 12 people came. Whereas in Texas, it would be about, well, over 100. And, and we it was extremely our, well organized. Our special little partition plates and our name tags, and we were all ready to go because we're so well trained from the Texas potlucks. They kind of looked at us like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> you must be potluck experts. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess we are. So, you know, little things like that uh, have kind of uh, surprised us. The site size and that sort of stuff is about the same. Uh, of course, they all have full hookups and all of that sort of stuff works well. The roads are nice. Um, in, in terms of the actual physical facilities, I would say they're pretty very much similar. the same. This park has a beautiful, nice pool um, that's huge and very nicely heated. Uh, so that's a, a definite plus. Uh, our Texas park had, well, an adequate pool, certainly, but it was not gargantuan. Not as fancy. They have... Um, major sporting activities here. And certainly if you're a dancer, square or round, and to some degree ballroom or or social dancing, uh, Texas is by far the better choice. Uh, The campgrounds, many of them there, had huge dance halls and had dances multiple times a week, so you really could kick up your heels and boogie most any time you wanted to in Texas. And take lessons, uh, which were very popular, and the dance... uh, they had regular dances. I mean, Saturday night you could go to half a dozen dances that were hosted by live bands, whereas here they have kind of an anemic dance attempt, and it's a DJ type of thing, which, of course, is okay, but it, it isn't the excitement of a live band with dinner and, and things that they, they would have in Texas. Uh, and those were very common, and we kind of took them for granted, although we don't dance very much. But Sadly, that's the case. So we come to hit these areas because the weather is so crummy for the rest of the United States, for, for traveling, frankly. I mean, we have to spend January and a little bit of February at a campground someplace in a warm area because you cannot depend on the weather and the weather here has been definitely iffy 
And that was the case in Texas as well. Exactly. You had some wonderful days where it felt great to be in the pool and days when you hauled out your parka that you put on when you went out the front door when exactly. you left home and exactly. it still felt good to be wearing and it. And so just staying put for the month of January and maybe a couple of weeks of February is a good idea because it just uh, it, you're going to have trouble tra- traveling. And as we know from listening to all the reports up north, for all of you folks that are whew, in the northern lands, that uh, you We've had just uh, boku amounts of snow and terrible weather, and uh, that kind of uh, permeates its way down this way also. So that's why we stay in a park um, and not travel around, and we are anxious to get back on the road, but it will be a couple more weeks before we actually do that. And certainly if you are a doer rather than a sitter, I think these parks are very appealing. I mean, people in campgrounds are friendly and nice people, but here everybody comes with the mindset to be friendly and do stuff with other people, some of whom they've not met before, and it kind of feels like going to summer camp or the first day of college when yes, everybody yeah. was friendly in the dorm and and it's easy to join in and feel welcome and a part of things without uh, having to invest a lot of time. And they have neighborhoods and they have neighborhood get- gatherings and activities that people get together and if you're from this part of the park you're in the in crowd and if you're in another part of the park you're not part of the in crowd and you better have a bike because the, bi- the park is so big that's the way you get around and everybody has uh, in this case around here three wheel bikes uh, and and then us with our, our standard bicycles and, and golf carts, of course, are extremely popular. But for in those both areas. on the road, uh, on the road, that's uh, that's not feasible. And in Texas, they even have, as they did here, I believe they have a <laughs> golf cart. I think we even talked about it last year. They have a golf cart parade. I think they did here before. Yeah, we yeah, got I here. think so. I heard that called homecoming. on homecoming week here, right? So, which one you go to? Um, it's a tough call. Uh, the course for those folks in the east, it, it's extra gas to get to Texas. Although for us, it's actually a little shorter to go to Texas than it is to come, come here, here to Western Florida. There's also a difference to consider in that the two areas that these parks are located in are very different from mm-hmm. each other. Yes. Um, the climate is similar, but certainly when you're in the south of Texas, you're very close to the Mexican border. You're living with a lot of Mexican-Americans, and the richness of their culture permeates everything mm-hmm. you go mm-hmm. and everywhere you go. Uh, we went to some very appealing little cultural festivals in some of the towns down there that were full of Mexican people doing things that they probably That's right. used to do. That. in Mexico, yes, yes, whereas fun. here in Sarasota, um, we are very um, involved in the theater life back in Chicago. We love plays. We've talked about when we went to New uh-huh, York and uh-huh. saw so many theater performances, and we've been very impressed here in Sarasota that there are many theaters offering quality products, some uh, priced the way they would be in Chicago, some considerably less expensive. There's and even an opera. Opera house mm-hmm, here mm-hmm. in Sarasota. So if cultural life is important to you, um, the Florida choice might be the better one, um, but if you like the feeling of being somewhere else without really being somewhere else, yes. uh, Southern Texas was a lot more fun in that way. Well, of course, you could actually go to Tex- uh, to Mexico <laughs> easily because we were just a few miles from the border. Which, sadly, these days everybody seems to be afraid to do. Now well, even the cruise ships are stopping. Uh, yeah, yeah, but going to, to Progreso was a different than going to Yeah, it was Tijuana. safe and easy. Uh, and many people, as a matter of fact, considered uh, Mexico their their medical (laughs) shortstop for keeping the costs of their medical treatments low, especially dentistry. 
If you are a golfer, I would say that you can play far more cheaply in Texas than in Florida. We've had to look um, fairly strenuously to find some courses which char- charged a fee um, that measured up to our golf skills. <laughs> low, um, low, low. There are many, many spectacular courses in Florida, <laughs> but they're very expensive. Uh, so I, I think we found it easier to play golf in Texas, um, although there wasn't a lot of grass on some of the courses. Yes. Uh, another activity that people like to do is go to the beach. And in the Rio Grande Valley, depending where in the valley you are, it's usually about an hour drive to the beach. Mm -hmm. 40 minutes. And here, depending on where you are at at this particular campground, it takes us maybe 20, 20 25 minutes minutes to get to the beach. And I would say the beaches are nicer here. Texas is known for high winds in the wintertime. And the beaches there, uh, remember we went to the the, the Kite Festival, and the reason why they have it there is because they have nice lots of winds on Padre Island. Whereas here, uh, we went to the beach this afternoon, and it was very pleasant uh, on a sunny day, although not swimming weather because the water was cold. But you don't want to camp on the beach, I don't think. We really learned our lesson. The first few years after we retired, we sought out campgrounds that were right on the water because how beautiful, how spectacular. And we'd be sitting there in the damp and the fog, and we'd drive inland a few miles, and it would be sunny and 10 degrees warmer. Um, note to self, in January, do not camp right on the and water. And that happened exactly here. We had a friend who was staying in a condo on the beach, and we, I mean, literally less he, than 10 miles away. He called up and he said, I think it's 40 degrees here, and I had just come back from the pool. And it was sunny and warm uh, just 10 miles inland. So that's an, another factor at this time of year. You don't want to be really all that that close to the water. You want to be close enough to drive to the water on a nice day, but not stuck there all the time. Okay, so that kind of wraps up our... Reflections on Texas versus Florida. And so we'll let you make the decision for yourself, but uh, we have done the research, and we will be heading out to Arizona and maybe other places to... uh, Make more comparisons. Make more comparisons, because uh, we enjoy doing that, and doing it from a foundation of knowledge rather than just hearsay. One of the things that we've learned to do here, while we're still learning how to do it here, is a sport that's new to us called pickleball. Uh, They just started playing it where we live as well. And we understand that those of you who are on the West Coast are probably very familiar with this game because it started in Washington State. But it seems to be a very good game for people who like ping pong and tennis but maybe um, can't cover the tennis court as well as they used to. It uses a lot of the same skills. But it takes almost no space uh, compared to something like tennis or volleyball. You play and, it with a wiffle ball. and you play Well, and it's a funny kind of wiffle ball so that the ball doesn't go very far. The court is... 44 by 22 or something like that. Uh, or is it 70 feet long? Anyway, it's it's uh, small by tennis court standards. It's about half of a tennis court. And it's played by four people. I've never seen it here played in singles. They said you could, but you could, it okay, but there are no, no basic rules. And because it doesn't require nearly as much running, um, it is much easier for people who are infirmed to do and it has nothing to do with pickles apparently no. the the dog that belonged to the guy who invented this game was named pickle but you can always tell when the pickleball is going on because you hear the the whacking of the ball because the, the the paddle and it is a paddle is very hard so it's a it's like a hard pizza pan uh, a piece of wood and the ball hitting it makes a very loud rapping sound so that you can hear it being played and the net is about uh, 30 inches off the ground and 
it's got its own special rules, which we're not going to explain here. But if you have a chance to try it, you might want to give it a try. It apparently is the fastest growing sport in the United States and, frankly, uh, is uh, easy to learn and uh, fun to play and a decent amount of exercise. And no big stretching motions like serving and and hard hits and that, <laughs> that sort of stuff. It's more of a finesse sort of game. No spinning to speak of that is pickleball and they have three courts here and uh, one of the good things is that they're undercover so that we can play when the weather is bad unlike tennis and or they have volleyball here too so that's another fun activity beach volleyball beach volleyball yes indeed we wanted to uh talk to you about some highlights of an article written by a canadian camper uh we'll give you the link to the entire article um basically the point of this article is to encourage people to camp and think about it for positive influences on the environment and the ecology which is generally not the way people think about rving because all they think about is all the, the gas that you use up when you're driving those big rigs down the road but this author points out that once you get to where you're going especially if you don't move around a lot you're not using any um, gasoline or diesel at all and you're living in a very uh, green friendly and uh, manner because uh, campers as we said ride around with their little golf carts or ride their bikes to go from place to place they're all close together not taking up a lot of room i think many people think that the rv lifestyle is actually very wasteful of our energy and resources when in fact i believe we think that it is actually quite efficient and we don't uh, fill up with fuel very often we use a very minimal amount of uh, energy and off the electricity off the grid so that uh, i think that it can be justified from a ecological point of view also we have talked about this a couple times but uh, i think that it is important to to think about that when you think about going rving that you're actually going to be small you're living small we talked last episode about some of the things that we saw at the tampa super show and i think I think once again we want to talk briefly about uh, the fact that Monaco has bought out Holiday Rambler and that they have bought, they've come up with a really nice new motorhome which is really very impressive. A 31 foot floor plan and it features that. a nine, a seven foot nine slide out on a twenty three foot full wall slide out that allows for a large expandable L shaped sofa behind the driver's seat. When we walked into this coach, we were amazed at how much space it had because it had an L sofa. It, it came out again from the wall, an L shaped sofa, so that it had a large amount of uh, living space and uh, sitting space for guests in your RV. All this in a in a 31 uh, foot motorhome. And it, I even see here that it has capacity to hold a couple of bikes in its storage base. Which what a is great also, idea. What a great idea, which would be something we would like to have also. As you know, we bought the fold-up bikes to put in the back of our car, but it would be nice to be able to put them into the bays. But our motorhome is not big enough. It's plenty big. <laughs> <laughs> it's not big enough. We need a 45-footer. 
I was interested to read that one of the the floor plans that we have not been impressed with is the bath and a half. I don't like to waste a lot of RV space on a bathroom. A lot How of, long are you in there? A lot of the bigger, yeah, well, a lot of the bigger RVs now have a bath, a full bath in the back, and then mid coach they have a, a toilet and sink. To us, this is a huge waste of space. Although we do like to have two sinks. Many people really like this floor plan. If and you I, travel with a bigger group, yeah, probably. I guess if you travel with a bigger group, that that's that's good. But if you're out looking, look at these uh, bath and a half and see if you like them uh, because it uh, is definitely the style. The other feature we always laugh at is, in particular in fifth wheels, I see this a lot, are um, electric fireplaces. Um, We love campfires, which are um, often not permitted in the places that we go, um, but Every time we go to an RV show, we keep seeing some rigs with yeah, these electric fireplaces. We just talked to somebody other, the other day who had a fifth wheel and said, boy, we love our electric fireplace. To each his own. To each his own, yes. We won't make any comments about that because we may meet you someday and you may have that. And you will be glaring at us for mm-hmm. making such a nasty comment. The readers will let us. <laughs> the listeners will let us know. The listeners will let us know. They will come down on us and tell us that we are out of our minds for not liking electric fireplaces. We also should mention if you're headed toward California and you haven't paid attention to the news <laughs> that their budget problems sounds like in 18 days from when I'm speaking to you, uh, Governor Brown is going to start closing down some of the California state parks due to budget reasons. Um, very sad. Something that we never like to hear. And But it is a sign of the times, I think, uh, even now that we've had the State of the Union and uh, a newfound friendliness in Washington boy, the states are still in a bad way, and cutting back on the budget means cutting back on services like state parks. Boy, where are they going to go? In contrast, we want to plug a resource that we've yes. used uh, for the Texas state parks. Every year they come out with an RV travel and camping guide that is um, a large document. This year it's 150 pages of content, um, and it gives you information in detail about each of the state parks, and it's kind of organized by region, which is helpful for people like us who don't really know where all these places are in Texas. And the thing that we especially enjoyed is that it comes with a Texas Saver Card, which gives you some half-price stays in their state parks, as well as cabins and cottages. And as we've talked about, Texas has great state parks and uh, nice campgrounds with nice uh, full hookups in some cases. And one that we stayed in even had cable TV, which was a big surprise. But uh, Texas has some great scenic state parks and uh, well worth visiting, and this is a nice guide for for traveling to them. (laughs) This next story is just unbelievable. A Riverside, California firm, and I almost find this hard to believe, but I've read it in a couple of places, is about to start making 30,000 Class A and Class C motorhomes over the next three to four years, and they're going to be sent... Where they make everything else that we buy. No, they're going to be sent to China. Oh, not from China. Not from China. These are being sent to to China. China. We are going to be exporting... Oh, how nice. Maybe that'll help our balance of trade Winston a Winston <laughs> Global Energy, headquartered in, in Shenzhen, China. Shenzhen, China, has bought a company in the United States, and they're going to begin making 30,000 Class A and Class C motorhomes. 
I hope they also make some campgrounds while they're over there. Because what did we say before? There were like 15 campgrounds yeah, in all yeah, of China. Yeah. Well, you got to start somewhere. Good and for I, them. I, you know, this is one of those things that a centralized government can really uh, can just do. If you're a podcast listener based in China, yeah. please let us know how <laughs> things are going there. If you're on the Chinese Internet, please let us know when they start arriving. We'd like to see some pictures of them. And, well, we must have a listener to in China. I've, I never, so. I've never even looked at that. That's, that would be very cool. How about... Oh, I sent you this. I can't believe we're going to talk about it because somebody sent it to me. Anyway, we're going to put on the show notes a website that lets you um, load a map of the United States. And when you move your cursor over the various locations on the map, you can see the current temperature and weather conditions for that city at the moment. Very cool. Very cool. And another internet first. iRadar from Cobra. Now, you had to know that this was coming down the road here someplace. We've all had radar detectors, and I have had a couple, but we no longer use one in the motorhome because we don't uh, Speed. need to use one. Aren't but, some of them illegal in Canada, too? And some other states, too. But <clears throat> the Cobra iRadar, and I'll have the link on the webpage, combines the industry-leading radar, laser, and speed and red light detection technology with the power of the iPhone, wouldn't you know it, to provide the most advanced smart detection system available today using the iPhone's Bluetooth wireless technology connection. The Cobra radar enables you to view radar alerts, control settings, and alert history log that will warn of upcoming speed and red light cameras. iRadar is the most innovative and technologically advanced and user-friendly detector device ever created. So if you have your iPhone in the car and you buy the iRadar, they will interface with each other and it will pick things off the web and send it to the radar detector and it will know where it is and be looking for red light cameras. I don't know what the hell it is. And you'll never get a ticket again. I'll never get a ticket again, but I haven't gotten a ticket in a long, a long time, time. But You've been good. we definitely would like to have a report on the iRadar. I just can't buy everything. Lord knows you try. <laughs> and I have to depend on our readers, our listeners rather, to give give me some reports on these things. Product so, reviews? Product, product reviews. Well, they I can't supply them to you, but uh, I encourage you to buy one of these and give it a try and tell us what, if you like it. Uh, we had an opportunity here in Sarasota to visit a very famous local photographer's studio. His name is Clyde Butcher. And even in this modern day of uh, digital photography and color and um, all the latest computer techniques, he still is doing a lot of wonderful photography, especially in the Everglades, in black and white. um, Film. Printing his pictures himself in the dark room as you did yes i used to have a full dark room in my basement when so i, I first color met prints you. and things i was able to do 16 by 20s as my largest size print and he does pictures that are like five by, by seven feet feet yeah so his dark room is very large i was very surprised that he uses uh, pool noodles to Print to help to his print switch the paper back and forth in the developing solution. <laughs> anyway, we went to the studio here in uh, in Venice, in Venice, Florida, and they gave us a, a very nice little tour of the studio and how they make things and how they make these. They do make them right there. Uh, these large, large images uh, use from a black and white negative that is the biggest neg- negatives he shoots was sixteen by twenty inches. 
the negative itself. Can you imagine hauling that camera through the Everglades? Well, and of course, the enlarger and stuff, you'd need to, to make the prints from this. But the prints were ultra quality and very sharp. Now, we saw some pictures that had been printed in the darkroom mm-hmm. in the old way and then also printed digitally with printers. Yes, because the big prints were in the several thousand dollar range and the four figures for right, sure and they were limited edition and they were mostly pictures of the everglades and although he's done uh, serious nature photography at all the hot spots right. in the united states right then he has a kind of a second tier of prints and you can have a digital inkjet print made from any of the images but how did they differ is my question yeah how did they differ we were able to hold up two that were the same image, uh, one done on... Produced each way. And there was, a, to me, a very dramatic difference. The old wet process photography was very much better. Which was kind of a surprise. Because the dynamic range was much much, much wider. You saw much more detail. Yeah. So even though he's using the best of both, you could still see a difference in the quality side. It was on the film side. And now they're make, not making any more Kodachrome. <laughs> Kodachrome... So, uh, this got me to thinking about uh, <laughs> thousands of images and how do you organize your thousands of images. And one of my projects this winter has been to organize my 100,000 digital photographs. Wow, what a job. We've been taking photographs for a year. Since 1994, I've been shooting digital. It gets rather intimidating to have that many pictures organized. And if you are in the process of shooting digital photos, and who isn't, uh, you need to have some sort of record-keeping system. I am using uh, Apple's Aperture, and it's a really terrific program because it allows you to edit and organize your pictures all in one piece of software. But if you are a PC person and uh, on a budget, you might want to use Picasa because Picasa is free from Google. So if you go to Picasa.google, Google.com, you can get their software, and it's absolutely critical that you start putting your pictures in there. Otherwise, you're going to be in the situation that I'm in, and that is pretty much chaos. Overwhelmed. So, of course, the pictures always have the date on them, but a lot of times you want to find a specific picture. So I'm going through and I'm rating all of my pictures, and I'm also putting keywords with them. Grouping them by location. grouping them by location. Doing all of those things to make it so that we can find pictures when we want them. Um, because with 100,000 pictures... In the library, it's just becoming almost impossible to do that. And, and to be fair, you really haven't been able to do this before because right. the storage space is so much more affordable than it used to be that you can have all the 100,000 pictures right. together I have a ter- somehow. I have a terabyte drive, and it's dedicated just to storing the pictures. And, of course, I have that backed up, so that's actually two terabytes that I need um, because you have to have that backed up. And I, you needed software and the horsepower on your computer to be able to manage a hundred thousand pictures because even now it's kind of slow so even though we're kind of kicking ourselves in the head why weren't we doing a better job with this before it really wasn't possible before so those of you who are younger than we are get going yes and i've had a lot of fun though as you would too looking through all of the old pictures and boy i have some dynamite ones and craig uh, clyde butcher may be uh in have some serious competition 
We've been going to some um, art fairs while we've been down here in Florida. You probably have them in your part of the country in the summer. Don't I wish. And um, they get your juices going to see all that beautiful creative stuff for sale. Yes, uh, and taking uh, good pictures is a skill, as we see. His pictures are, I would say, wildlife or outdoor still lifes, basically, because no people, no people, and. Uh, and the images are very nice clouds and you know just a little bit different perspective and you and these huge prints that just make them uh, very impressive and if you want to do this digitally you need a big digital picture and that's why i'm shooting 18 megabyte raw photos right now so that in case i want to make a five by seven foot print i can <laughs> probably not and could I afford it? No, because one of the things we've been surprised at is how expensive it is to have these guys printed. We go to the art fair here and we see photographs and there are nice photographs, but you know you're talking two and three hundred dollars uh, starting for a, a five by seven or an eight by ten, and then they go up into the thousands from there. But frankly, in looking around and seeing how much things cost to make a, to print, uh, it's that's not really that unfair of a price. And but of course, it's always cheaper to do it yourself. And, of course, if you are living in a motorhome or an RV, you don't have very much wall space to display anything really? on in the first place. So um, I think our full-timing friends go to these art shows and treat them like museums because... But we have a house, so we need to decorate. But the walls are full. Okay. So what kind of tips would you give people about taking good photos? Well, you found a nice website that gave us some nice thought-provoking yes. um, points that we hadn't thought about before. Not the usual typical uh, correctly exposed things and that sort of stuff. For example, it advises you when you go to somewhere that everybody is very familiar with, like the Eiffel Tower or Mount Rushmore, uh, to not just take the conventional flat-on shot of it, um, to maybe put somebody in front of it doing something interesting or put an object from the area in the picture besides uh, the Eiffel Tower itself and um, bring your own personality and your own perspective to the photograph. They also suggest, um, this happens to me all the time, people ask you to take a picture of them uh, because they there are two of them and they want a picture with two of them in the picture and they stand exactly in the wrong place so that you're shooting into the sunshine. If you're a confident photographer, you should place the people where the picture will turn out the best and not let them take control of where the picture will be taken. Look and think before you shoot, before taking a photo. If, if you just take a quick look at the surroundings and give yourself a second to think about anything interesting that might be happening, you'll get much higher percentage of interesting photos. Is there a horseman? Is there uh, some sort of guy in a uniform? Is there something, uh, some sort of emblem that you can incorporate into the picture? And one of the things that I use as a trick is a super wide-angle lens because it allows you to, to get those flowers in the foreground and have them framing the building in the background and it will all be in focus. Uh, I'm using a 10 to 22 uh, wide angle lens which is um, a very wide angle lens for a standard digital camera and it really gives you a whole different perspective on taking pictures because you can get so much more in. And then the other thing that we do to get dramatic pictures is panoramas. Panoramas. And with a panorama, you take a multiple photographs of slightly different angles of the scene, and then you make your computer stitch them together, and you end up with a much more complete 
view of the entire scene than you could with just So you can take shot. up to a 180-degree picture and stitch it together, and it looks like one seamless picture, and it has a very odd perspective, but that is uh, provides a bit of interesting uh, and drama to the photo. So stitching is actually very easy today, and it's not really anything that you have to spend time doing yourself. It's, it's not a manual process. Uh, particular Photoshop Elements does a great job of stitching. And you just you don't need a tripod, although it would be nice. But uh, if you don't want to use a tripod, that's fine. You just take the pictures in series, and it will stitch them together. Both of my cameras have an assist mode that kind of helps you to line up the shots for the mm -hmm. panorama. But I found that with the current software, you don't really need that anymore. As long as you're pretty, by guess and by golly, the computer seems to be able to find the matching elements and put them together yeah. and match the exposures between the shots. Right and you end up with one complete dynamite picture. And I, of course, always take the pictures uh, for the panoramas in vertical mode because that makes them wider. They're already going to be very long, and uh, you want to make them as wide as you can. So by taking them in the vertical mode, you'll get pictures that are just uh, as wide as you can, as you can get. And, of course, oh, somebody out there must have the Sony that the new Sony cameras, which you can just put in some sort of automatic mode and you just move around and it automatically stitches them all together. I'd love to see that in click, action. Click, too. click, 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 click. It automatically click, 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 clicks. Like, it like takes a movie and then stitches the pictures together into cool. a still. I haven't uh, seen that in action. When taking a picture of a person, emphasize the, the person. I'm not trying to agree with that one. Well, I think what they're talking about there is you've seen pictures where um, the camera shoots fairly wide and it gets so much scenery or other people in the picture mm -hmm. that you look at the picture and you think, where, where am I supposed to focus? What was the major mm -hmm. topic or point of this picture? Um, it's kind of a you-had-to-be-there shot if you don't focus in on the important element of that picture. I think that's what they're trying to say there. Yeah, and one thing that I definitely agree with is, is move around and find the best picture. Don't just shoot the one that everybody else is shooting. I find that very often a decent photo could have been a great photo if I had just moved a little bit, whether to reframe the photo slightly or put something interesting in the background. This can involve moving a few steps forward or backward or shifting from side to side or crouching down, which is a, a big trick. If you're taking pictures of kids, get down to their level and take the pictures there. Or if you're animals taking, that are Or on the birds ground. or, yes, animals. I just did that today. As a photographer, you have much more control over what you are doing and where you are standing than you do over the subject matter. If you just stand level-footed in one spot, your photos will reflect this, and they will be basically boring because that's the view that everybody sees from their, eye, their viewpoint. And do pay attention to what's in the background. We've seen so many funny oh, photos yes. of people with fountains and trees growing out of their heads, um, so pay attention to that as well. Yes, and pay attention to the edges and the corners of the picture. A great photo is often defined by what is left in as by what is left out. You have considerable control here, and while it is normal human behavior to look directly in, and, uh, in a concentrated way at the things that interest us the most, the camera behaves otherwise. And one of of the things that I found is that you can <laughs> pictures that seem dull or the scene is dull but if you can focus your camera in on a specific element of the of the scene that's in front of you 
when you look at the picture, that's all that you see. So you focus the viewer's eye in on a subject, and that subject is actually very interesting in an otherwise dull frame. So it's worth it for you to find that area that is exciting and interesting, and you can uh, then have a great picture in an otherwise dull scene. And there's one tip here that I'm kind of mulling over, um, and I used to always think this was true. Uh, people tend to take pictures with the camera held horizontally, and it can often be more creative or do better justice to the subject that you're shooting if you turn the camera on its side and shoot vertically. But these days, since I tend to look at most of my pictures on computer screens, mm. unless it's an iPad that you can rotate to justify uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, the format of the picture, vertical versus horizontal, I feel that my vertical don't get justice because Mm -hmm. they're so small when you display them on the computer. Mm -hmm. Very interesting idea. I think that taking the pictures vertically or horizontally is an important uh, thing to do. Should be a conscious decision. Yeah, should be a conscious decision. And don't be afraid to turn the camera the other way, um, no matter which way you prefer. And these days, I think one of the things to consider is that you should always have a camera with you so that you have a chance to take those great pictures. You can't take a great picture if you don't have a camera. And they're so small and, and light cell phones and easy. just don't do the job. No, so, I don't use my iPhone no, at all. No, not at all, really, to take, to take great pictures. Uh, well, to take any pictures. I would use it if I had a car accident. That's about it. Yeah, right. But for taking uh, photographs, it's, you, you just got to have that camera with you. And it's so easy these days to carry a camera with you that uh, stick it in your pocket and have it with you at all times because you never know when that great shot's going to come along and this happened to me because we were driving uh, back home in the winter and uh, we were coming over a bridge and it was a the fog was so picturesque we were going to play tennis (sighs) i'm shooting myself and so we had our rackets but not our our cameras and uh it was just the fog was just fabulously perfect you know with the trees sticking out and It was frosty fog and the pinnacle of the church spire, and it was just fabulous. And I didn't have a camera, so that picture So you'll have to remember that picture forever. And I do, and I remember it as the one that got away. (laughs) So, dear listeners, uh, I encourage you to visit, and I will put a link in here, to my Flickr website so that you can take a look at uh, some of my great examples. That um, didn't get away. That didn't get away of the things that we've talked about here. We have had some great opportunities to take great pictures, and we'll be more than happy to share those with you and uh, if you'd care to share with us we would be glad to hear from you and in that vein uh, why not send us a picture of your rig I have a couple of new ones uh, up on the website uh, this month and uh, we always like to see what you're riding around in and why not uh, give us a review on iTunes so that we uh, will be rated the number one podcast you mean we're not already number one I don't know I don't really keep track of that but it would be nice if we were Well, they don't rate them, but we want to have as many reviews as possible to keep us ahead of everybody else in the podcast world. And our listeners, we know, will come through for us on this matter. Well, so it looks like even though we have been complaining since we've gone to two programs a month that we have nothing to say, um, that we still managed to blather on without any difficulty whatsoever. Do you think they still like us? I hope so. If not, we'll cut back to one. Okay. Well, it's been a pleasure chatting with you guys, and uh, we hope to hear from you. This is Ken, your RV navigator. And Martha, the co-pilot, wishing you happy travels. 